The following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. For advertising information or to find more great podcasts, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com and follow us on Twitter at RealTheUnderdog. You're listening to the Underdog Sports NBA Show. With host Tyler Laurie and Zandrick Ellison. Brought to you by Underdog Sports. Tune in every week as Tyler and Zan recap the biggest storylines and news in the NBA. Welcome back to episode 22 of the Underdog Sports NBA show. I'm Tyler Laurie and I'm joined as always by my co-host in Los Angeles, Zandrick Ellison. And Zan, the Lakers are dead. Right? They're dead. Lakers have been killed. I'm in LA, the, the capital of play of playoff contending basketball, right? I mean, that was the big matchup of the week. The Clippers knock off LeBron James and the Lakers. It certainly felt like that. I likened it to did you ever play Mortal Kombat as a kid? I did. It's like remember when that op- your opponent was kind of you had to finish him off. He was kind of just like limping around in like a comatose state and you just like dug your you know, skull through his head or whatever you did. That felt like the Clippers and Lakers. Like the Lakers are like the floundering team and the Clippers just finished them off. Yeah. That was like when you could do fatalities and stuff. Mortal yeah. Kombat, fatalities. Cool, yeah. Cool. Pretty cool game right at the end. I, uh, yeah. I mean, the good thing about this is as of today, I believe the Lakers have 18 games left. They are five and a half games out of the eighth spot. Clippers are in the seventh spot. Spurs in the eighth spot. Sacramento Kings still hanging around in the ninth spot. They could certainly get in, but I think they are now three games back of the eighth spot. But, you know, the Lakers have lost three in a row. They lost to Milwaukee. They lost to Phoenix somehow in just probably the worst performance of the year. They lose to Phoenix by nine. They lose to the Clippers by eight. And and the spot against the Clippers is, is interesting, Zan, because it's like the easiest spot for the Clippers to lose and just not make the playoffs. But, like, they want to beat LeBron, and it's – it's weird, but the Lakers plus twenty five hundred make the playoffs now. Minus, I'm sorry, plus nine hundred to make the playoffs. Minus twenty five hundred to not make the playoffs. And I am excited because I think we're going to be done talking about a basketball team that is just an absolute dumpster fire. I don't love leading the show off with them. I'm tired of talking about LeBron and and all the things that go on with him. But I mean, let's talk about it for a second. That that, that is the big story of the week. I mean. Every week we've been kind of updating what do the Lakers have to finish to kind of win 42 games or so. And it's gone, you know, from hard to do to nearly impossible. I mean, the I think the Clippers are the reason why, because as soon as they traded Tobias Harris, we all thought they were going to tank effectively and try to get their, their keep their pick. They're sitting eight games over 500 right now. I mean, they're just not going away. They've won three in a row. Um and they look pretty good all around. That depth that they had is the shield to them from any sort of real decline. And it's almost implausible to think that they're going to finish below 500. And it's, it's so even at the Lakers rally, they'd have to go 12 and eight just to get to 500. And that might be unrealistic. It doesn't, it doesn't seem like, obviously, we talked about this before, 44 wins kind of seemed like the number that you would have to get to. And it may end up being more than that. But the Lakers, they're not getting to 44 wins. I mean, they, they're... Well, and and if you just the way they look and the way LeBron looks right now, like if they were the team that they looked in the first couple months, you might think that's possible. But he, I don't know if it's health or age or just frustration, but he clearly does not look a hundred percent. 
The defense has just completely imploded. They look like a bad team right now. They look like a 30 and 34 team. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, and, and I do feel like the one of the biggest issues, and I think we talked about this from the beginning, and when teams were people were saying they're going to win 48 games and stuff like that, the roster wasn't deep. The roster fit wasn't great. They, they don't in the, in the West, there's just not that much margin for error. Now, do I think at full strength they are better than the Clippers? Probably, but this just this just isn't working at the moment. Like Josh Hart injury was a killer. I, I do think the Lonzo Ball injury was a real problem. I, I, not because he was the best player in the team, as Lavar thinks, but because defensively he gives you another element. Like it's really quick hands. Obviously, LeBron has missed 18 games. We've, we've harped on this a ton. 19 games, I think, because he, he missed a couple for load management. But maybe this team, if LeBron is healthy the entire year and can play 70 games, maybe they do make the playoffs. I guess they probably would. But you're right, Zan. This is just the end. The end result of what we're seeing right now is like this is just not a very good basketball team. And whose fault is it? I would say, for sure, I, I do think Luke Walton is somewhat to blame. But I don't know that the situation is fair to him. Magic and Rob Polinka are certainly to blame. I mean, they just they signed to put together a roster that just doesn't work. Like you can't rely on Rajon Rondo. You're not going to be able to re- rely on Lance Stevenson. And then you know, LeBron is somewhat to blame because you really just can't shit on your teammates all year and just expect them to play really hard for you so a couple things that I think are positives Brandon Ingram has been very good the last month and that's something we've seen flashes before but maybe Ingram's ready to take the next step other than that Zan what are the Lakers doing aside from just trying to turn over the roster in the offseason to trade for Anthony Davis maybe they you know get the core out of there I also hate calling the Lakers young guys the core because like i don't even know how good they are but like no yeah it's, they're no longer the core um they're the old core that the house got like demolished down and there's still a few things left over um i think my biggest concern if i'm the lakers the front office is just how lebron is playing defensively and according to the advanced stats he's still a really good defender i just don't see that when i watch the games he constantly looks disengaged and he looks a step slow and he loses his man and he doesn't have the athleticism to recover in the same way that he did when he would freelance a few years ago. And I think it's sort of a long-term trend that we've seen. Like remember when they lost Miami got blown out to the Spurs, like LeBron was partly responsible for, you know, missing a few assignments on defense. The Cavs was an extreme version of that towards the end. I mean, their defense was atrocious for much of the year and they kind of rallied in the eastern side of the playoff bracket, but then they got blown out by the Warriors, largely because their defense was a mess. And these Lakers are starting to look like those Cavs. And LeBron has to take some responsibility for that. Like, it's hard to have an entire defense locked in when your superstar doesn't seem to be participating in good team defense. Yeah, I do think the LeBron defensive things are... not necessarily, like, overblown, but I, I agree with you, his effort level seems low. You know, a couple things, just the, the two clips that came out from the, excuse me, from the other night, he rolled the ball off the floor in like the most obvious two for one situation. That was totally fine. Like, yes, as he was walking, it seemed a little bit odd that it was happening so slowly. He didn't want the clock to start. Super fine. Like a, a very smart decision. And then the Kyle Kuzma thing, like that was bad defense by Kyle Kuzma. Like nobody called out a switch and LeBron is, like you said, not as engaged anymore to be able to recover and contest the shot. But, like, Kuzma pushed him because, like, they botched a defensive assignment. Like, he needed to stay attached to the shooter. LeBron was on Montrezl Harrell, and 
uh, Kuzma lost Danilo Gallinari. Like that was just that was Kuzma's fault. So he pushes LeBron to get out there, and like those are the two clips that people have seen. And I think Mike Prada, who writes for SB Nation now, posted about this and said like. You don't need to cherry pick those two clips because you're right, Zane. There are a ton of clips out of there of him just being very lazy and like not into it. And that's, I think, the biggest concern because when LeBron's locked in, he's still a very good defender. Now, like you said, there was some time with Miami and, and at the end of his time with the Cavs where like he kind of just played free safety and just shrunk court and was able to get wherever he wanted. This is a 35-year-old guy with a groin injury, and, and we know the groin injuries hurt. Like Steph Curry in 2016, you could tell he wasn't the same when he came back for the playoffs because of that groin injury, you can't move quite as well as you want. So I would agree with that. But I will say this, though. LeBron with an entire offseason, you know, he's old, but I don't know. Like, we have never, we haven't seen it before. We've never seen him miss the playoffs. I, I mean, I can't remember. And, and that's a good point you mentioned about the groin injury affecting defense, more, even more than offense. Like, I've heard that argument before. Like, why can he play well on offense, but he can't play well on defense? And I think it, you know, defense is so much more about quick twitch reaction. like reaction yeah. ability and so on offense you know where you're going and you know th- there's a reason that certain guys like you know struggle in their older age and and it makes me wonder going forward um what do you do with lebron if he is this guy and, and i think the groin injury may be a primary reason why he's he's struggling so much on that end and i think after the season they're gonna make that more of an excuse you know kind of like his broken hand in the finals you know, he's going to come out in a wheelchair saying that he tore his groin off the bone or whatever. Um, but I don't know. I, I mean, it's the same kind of issues that I've seen for a couple of years now. And to me, like, I think he needs to do one of two things for next year. One is obviously get healthy, but potentially lose some weight if he still wants to be like a forward hanging on the perimeter. Like he looks really heavy right now. I mean, I know that's part he of He does look heavy though, because before he used to look more kind of like you would expect the defensive end to look like very fast twitch and stuff but he does look like he's probably playing at like 280 or 285 now i have no way to back that up zan i just i just think he He looks heavier and and that could be injury related or not being able to be peak fitness or the other thing i think so if he if he wants to be a small forward power forward stretch four i think he needs to lose some weight or i if i'm the lakers i would seriously consider playing him against big guys more often you know, as sort of a small ball five surrounded by three and D long armed athletes. Like I'm just thinking ahead. Like this is LeBron at 34. They're going to have LeBron at 36 and LeBron at 37. I can't imagine he's going to be able to hang on the perimeter at that age either. And, and rightfully so. I mean, no one really does. So my question to you, Zan, is, is this, what's the, what's the steps to fix this? If you're Magic Johnson and Rob Polinka, like, is it Anthony Davis or bust? Is it you convince Kevin Durant to come play with LeBron? Like, and, and, and is it a situation where, you know, you do need to move on from Lonzo. You do need to move on from Brandon Ingram. Like what, what are they doing to this roster? Cause they're, they, they cannot go into the season. Like, Reggie Bullock was a, was a very good ad for them, but like they can't go into the season expecting like Rondo and Lance Stevenson and like JaVale McGee and Tyson Chandler to be big contributors. So my guess is Luke Walton's not going to be the coach next year. I think we can both agree on that. It's going to be surprising if he makes it through the season, but at this point, why would you fire him? But what, what do they need to do in your opinion to legitimately be contenders in the West? Well, it's funny because, you know, Anthony Davis does like cure everything that ails them almost. Um, you know, just his athleticism for a big guy. He has some stretchability, uh, even if he's not a great three point shooter, he has the ability to do that. 
Uh, defensively, he would be a huge addition. And and LeBron's never really played with a guy like that. I guess Chris Bosh, you know, when they started using him as a small ball five. But um, Kevin Love didn't offer much on defense. And, you know, the JaVale McGee, Tristan Thompson types can't do much on on offense in terms of dynamic scoring or shooting ability. So, I mean, he really is a perfect fit. And if I'm the Lakers, you got to trade whatever. Trade the whole team. Jeannie Bless claims that they didn't offer much for for Anthony Davis, but they should because barring him, I don't know if there's a one-man fix. Do you think, let's say they get Kawhi Leonard, do you think that team's a title contender? No, I don't. And, I, and I'm glad you asked me that. Because here's the issue. Like, let's just say, I, I think the two favorites to get the Lakers job at the moment are Jason Kidd and Mark Jackson. And I think one of the bigger issues is that LeBron wants to play slow now, and that's not the way the NBA is going. So if you're going to play that way, you need to make sure you're really, really good defensively. And it's going to be an issue if, like, you know, you don't have the personnel to do that. So if they were to hire somebody like that, I don't really feel like this Lakers team is ever going to have a title ceiling. Now, don't get me wrong. If they had Kawhi and they had Klay Thompson, yeah, sure, they're they're a title contender. I don't know that they're going to do that. I, I do still feel pretty strongly that Klay Thompson's going to be on the Lakers next year, but I think they need to really focus on like, hey, how do we want to play? And again, nobody's ever really stood up to LeBron, but it's very easy to say like, look, we brought you in here. We hadn't made the playoffs in five years. You didn't make the playoffs. It's now been six years. We need to figure out a way to do this together. And I think that it's not hiring a coach who wants to play a lot of iso ball. Now, they're going to hire kid. If they hire Kidd, he'll play a very frenetic defensive style. They'll be up in passing lanes. They'll be trying to force turnovers. You know, and that's great if you can do it. But again, that's going to require a lot more athleticism. It's going to require a lot more buy-in. LeBron may want to do it, but I I don't know if, like, everybody's going to be on the team that's going to be able to do that. I don't think it's a great defensive system for this current NBA where teams want to play fast and they want to shoot a lot of threes because there's just not a ton of opportunities to do what he does. And that's kind of why Milwaukee now has gone from, you know, 10th to 1st in defensive rating. So I think that's a big issue is you need to talk to LeBron and be like, look, LeBron, like this isn't going to be a situation where you dribble the ball for 18 seconds and then blame other people. Like we need total buy-in. We want to make you a small ball five, like you said. We want to make you a four-man, like like you said, and and kind of work the offense through him still because he's obviously still a good passer. But it's just a situation where I don't think he can play the way that he wants to play anymore, given where the NBA is going. So unless you get somebody that can really compete and get through to LeBron and be like, look, this is the way we want to play now with the team that we have, I don't think they're ever going to have the right roster to win a title. I really feel that way. Well, I think Anthony Davis would help a lot. And if, you, and if they do get Clay Thompson, that does, that's another guy who's a right. If you, if you were to – let's say if you told me today they're going to trade Ingram, Lonzo, whatever their lotto pick is this year – for Anthony Davis, and then sign Clay Thompson and then fill the roster in, I would say that AD, LeBron, and Clay Thompson, as we know them today, are good enough to at least be in the title conversation. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I still, you know, my brother listened to the podcast. He thinks we're too harsh on LeBron, especially you. You're a crabby old LeBron hater. I still think at full strength, he's a top five player. Um, it, but I just think you know, I think we have to rethink what an NBA player can do in today's landscape. Like teams are better. They're better shooters than ever. Their offenses are like flying and functioning all over the place. I don't know that one superstar can single-handedly carry a team to the finals anymore. And and LeBron may have done that last year, but it was a raggedy East. And I think we have to look at that as the exception and not the rule. 
I, I never said I didn't think LeBron was a top five player at full health, but I don't think he's been a top five player well, this year. You called him fat. You said that he he's coach killer. You said you wouldn't even sign him. I do think he's a coach killer. I think it's one of the most underreported things. And if you speak ill of LeBron, like it's, I mean, LeBron stands are crazy. And like, listen, I mean, I've not been harsh at all about my kind of feelings for LeBron based on him just killing the Wizards when I was a, a young child. And like, but I do think like LeBron is very difficult to kind of acquiesce, if you will. Like we, we've we've seen who he's had work for him before. We I don't know if David Blatt's a good coach. I don't know if David Blatt would have won the title in 2016 when Teron Lue did. But like when LeBron's not happy about stuff, he just does whatever he wants. He just gets his own guys in there. Like the only person we've ever really seen stand up to LeBron is Eric Spolstra. And I don't even know how much he did it. Like, it, you know, that situation, Pat Riley kind of inserted his own guy. But, like, LeBron is ostensibly, like, he's a coach killer. Like, it just doesn't really work. They, they hung Ty Lue out to drive this year because, like, then LeBron wasn't there anymore. So it bothers me that – I think he's caught a lot of heat this year, actually. So I won't say that it bothers me. But I don't, I don't want to be harsh on the guy. But at the same time, when you force everyone to kind of bend to your will and then it doesn't work and then you blame everyone else, I think that's really hard to deal with. I, I really do feel that way. It's kind of like like Kyrie Irving had the same like kind of comments this this week that I killed LeBron for last week, where he said like, "I want to play basketball. I don't want to be in the spotlight." Like, all right, guy, you just have put out a feature film six months ago. You know, you just announced that you're <laughs> well, doing that's a whole other that's story. A, yeah. But you just announced you're doing another film, so it's like it's fine to say those things. But like, if you can easily be proven that you're not doing the things that you're saying, I don't have a lot of time to like defend you. And that's where, like I said, if, if LeBron was healthy, maybe the Lakers would have made the playoffs. But I think the issues of this team go a little bit deeper than that. No, absolutely. That's what I. That's what I wanted to say. Like you know, LeBron gets that GM thing. You know, he's organized. He's pulling all the strings. We don't really know how much responsible he was for the the shitty roster construction. Frankly, we don't know that. We don't know that. Yeah, and if I'm if I'm a Lakers fan, I'd be worried about this sort of. Magic Johnson, you know, former player. It's always scary. Rob Palenka is an agent. You know, he's a good salesman. Um, I, we don't really know if he's a great player evaluator. I mean, they, they kind of, you know, the Lakers, to their credit, it seems like they scored on Kuzma. But other than that, like every decision they make doesn't really give you a lot of confidence that they know how to build a team. And the fact that it came out this week that they were considering signing Carmelo if they were close to the playoffs. And to me, that would that would make me scared too. Like, in what world have you been watching basketball that you think Carmelo Anthony is going to help you in the playoffs? Well, yeah, and then Carmelo said like he's not going to go there because they're not going to make the playoffs. Like he's going to go be a contributor somewhere. Like I don't know that that part to me is is crazy. I just I don't know, man. Like I'm tired of talking about the Lakers, and I, I don't want to say that in the sense that like I want to go into another topic. I just mean it's like we're we're talking about this team that's just not good, and it's because. It's obviously because they have LeBron and it's because of all this Anthony Davis bullshit that happened earlier in the year. But Zan, like I've told you this, I think for the last three, four weeks, like when you watch the Lakers play, like they don't appear to enjoy being around each other. A lot of that is LeBron's fault. Now we don't know what else is going on in the locker room. I don't know who's the leader. They kind of expected everyone to just kind of bend to LeBron, like I said. And it appears that it's not that way. Like, you know, after the trade deadline, like Lonzo posted the like going nowhere video was I don't like to overreact to social media, but I, I thought that was pretty telling. Kind of like, hey, we're here. Like, I'm from LA, man. Like, I want the Lakers to be good. And like, you're trying to just like move me out of town because you have some agenda to try to win a ring easier. And and that's, uh, I mean, that, that seems like it's going to cause more problems if they don't move on from those guys. So to me, like, I, I think I texted you this, that Doug Gottlieb tweeted that like, 
the Lakers had a lot of trouble on the buyout market because guys think Clutch Sports is pulling the strings, not Magic and Rob Palenka. And they don't want to go there because it's like, all right, we're going to pull the strings that benefit LeBron and our clients. So if that's actually the case, then, I mean, are we really going to be back here in a year talking about LeBron making the playoffs and challenging for a title? I don't think so. And I don't want to make, I don't want to give you like a fire take 12 months out, but it doesn't feel like this is easily fixable, especially when it feels like New Orleans wants Jason Tatum and that's really it for Anthony Davis. Or they want Zion, you know? We have to adjust expectations for the Lakers if they don't get anyone, of course. But also le- adjust for LeBron. And whether that's playing at a small ball five, I think it, it's more feasible than I think people give credit for. When they play, they've experimented with that. And, and I like the look of it, you know, especially if they have big guards and big forwards. And the other thing I want to say, just to put a button on it, I think the Lakers really need to adjust how they use his workload game to game. Um, You know, he played heavy minutes. He played 42, I think, against the Clippers. That's an exception. But on the year, he's playing 35.7 minutes a game. And that's just not smart for a 34-year-old who is, whatever, 270 pounds. And, and, you know, he could get more digs. And, you know, he's been sort of so durable throughout his career. But you never know if that's going to be the case going forward. I would really love to see them get his minutes down, 32, 33, and and think more long-term because as mentioned before, they're going to have this guy on the team for several years. You have to start thinking about a long-term plan here. Did you see uh, in that late, in that Clippers Lakers game that like late in the game, the fans were chanting, we want Kobe. <laughs> like here's a quick, here's a quick question. There, there are a lot of similarities to old school Kobe right now. I mean, in just in terms of the atmosphere, I, there was a telling moment, I think too, when um, Ramona Shelburne, who's usually a good reporter, very much like a mouthpiece for certain people in the organization, especially locally in LA. She's a big Lakers. She's plugged in. She wrote a really nasty, not a nasty, but negative article about LeBron and how what a big failure it is. And that's coming from somewhere. There has to be some sort of frustration within that organization. Actually, like it's funny. I, I don't remember where I heard this, but it was like, all right, if the Lakers don't make the playoffs, like, will we see LeBron? Like, you know, will they, somebody have him in studio? Like, you know, he's he's good on camera. Like, he, he, basketball mind, he's fantastic, as we know. But it's like, what's LeBron going to do if they don't make the playoffs? And so it's, it's kind of interesting you're saying, like, Ramona Shelburne's plugged in. Because, you know, obviously ESPN sent, like, the LeBron mouthpieces out there. Like, Windhorse is there. Dave McManaman, who's been, you know, somebody who LeBron will talk to, is out there. Uh, Chris Haynes, who is a, assuredly a clutch sports mouthpiece, is out there. So it's interesting. How many reporters do you think we that can turn against each other? Like Rachel Nichols has always been very LeBron uh, positive, I guess. I, I, that's not really a great way to say it. But like she's always been like in the LeBron camp. Like she's been able to get stuff with LeBron. And now as she's grown even greater with like the jump and everything, I think her NBA coverage is great. But it's like, is she going to call out LeBron? Because nobody really calls out LeBron like that. I'm telling well, you. Well, some people do, and certain people don't like him. Like Woj, I don't think likes him. They seem he's posts a lot of negative stuff. We probably won't have time to get to it, but I thought the best piece of the week in terms of you know <laughs> negative articles by ESPN. Everyone should be reading Kevin Arnovitz's article about the Suns. Their dysfunction was just hilarious. Um, you know, in a shot and forward sense. So you should definitely read that on ESPN. We won't have time to talk about their dumpster fire, but. There's a lot going on there. Who else? Uh, who else is negative about LeBron? I agree with you. Woj is very Woj is at least glib about LeBron, if you will. And Zach Lowe, I think, is pretty fair because I don't think Zach Lowe gets much from his camp either. Well, and I guess Skip Bayless, but Skip Bayless is kind of like the Iron Cheek. You know, he's just like trolling America. Yeah, know? that's that's his brand. And now, like, like Shannon Sharp is like 
the other side of it. It's like they found somebody who like really feels very strongly against Skip Bayless about LeBron. So like Skip can just say these outward. Did you see what he said? If if Patrick Beverly, if LeBron had Patrick Beverly's heart, he'd be Michael Jordan or whatever. Like you're you're an idiot. Like you're an idiot. Like. <laughs> well, it sucks for LeBron. Like, I want you because you have been, you've been probably as negative as anyone at, at LeBron. Like, can you give a couple of nice compliments for LeBron? What What are your f- three favorite things about LeBron? I, listen, uh, LeBron, the basketball player, I really like. I, I honestly enjoy it. I have never been super excited about LeBron, the brand, if you will. I think it's amazing how he's like stayed clean. I think it's awesome that he does do a lot of like uh, positive work in the community and stuff like that. But I just don't. One of the things I'll never understand is how you want to be branded as a leader. And Kobe did this shit too. Like, all right, so this is not just LeBron, but it's like you want to be branded as a leader, but you're so quick to like make comments about your teammates. And so it's like, Tyler, this was the positive LeBron segment. You're supposed to say three nice things and you've already devolved into your negative anti-LeBron. I'm just saying the biggest issue I have with LeBron is I, I think he carries himself great. I think he's an awesome ambassador for the league. What I don't appreciate is like you're losing games in the middle of the playoff race and you're Instagramming that you're top five and or you know top five in scoring, top ten in assists or whatever. Like that's just stupid. Like I don't think LeBron's a very good teammate, and I think the same. I thought the same about Kobe for a long time because he held the Lakers hostage, and I think the comparisons are there a little bit. Like obviously Kobe had two more titles without Shaq, but it's like when you've consistently been a bad teammate, but you're this unbelievable generational player, and LeBron's no doubt about it in my mind one of the best five players ever. I think. I just think it like nobody owes you anything. Like they don't they don't have to say like, oh, like we have to listen to LeBron or we should do exactly what LeBron says. It's like that doesn't work like that. Like there's a difference between being a great leader and a great player. And that's where I that's where like LeBron has always annoyed me. Cause I, I just feel like, you know, he's always bitching to the officials. He's always bitching to the media. And it's like at some point, you know, when we can see what you're doing, when things are very thinly veiled and now in the social media age and like it's very easy to put two and two together, it wasn't with Michael Jordan, you know, so we don't know how he really was. I'm assuming he was a dickhead to everybody just because that's kind of what he presents itself as. But it's like with LeBron, like we can see these things happening. Like you're not that slick. And so it, it just, it, it very much annoys me when like you go to LA, very clearly the third best destination for you to go if you want to win a title, maybe even further down the list than Cleveland because at least at Cleveland you could carry you could run roughshod through the shitty east you know what i mean like get to the finals every year but it's like now you're bitching about the teammates that you signed up to play for and that you said you were gonna have to teach them and lead them what happened to that zan like you're telling me to be positive about lebron but like what happened to the guy that was like i'm gonna work with lonzo like kyle kuzma brandon ingram and then all of a sudden you're like these guys fucking suck i can't win with them it's hard for a leopard to change his spots. It's hard for Tyler to to give three positive things about LeBron. Apparently, that was a five minute angry rant against him. Listen, here's the positives about LeBron: absolutely generational basketball player, one of the best in game passers I've ever seen. Like, yes, that that's what I wanted to to, to touch on because you know I don't like ranking players historically before my time. Like, you get you see this all the time. Like, hey, I think George Gervin was better than Oscar Robinson. Like, you didn't watch any of those guys. You know, like you're really an expert on guys you saw. And for my generation, I grew up, you know, in the 90s watching basketball. LeBron is the second best player I've ever seen behind Jordan. But as you mentioned, like his in-game vision and passing ability, I can't think of anyone better, honestly. Like the, his ability to go full speed and find a guy in the corner, I think is really amazing, for, especially for a guy his size. Um, you know, you might think of a couple other point guards that could do it, but I, I've never seen anyone with that ability 
at his position. He also, and this is a little bit getting back to your comment about a small ball five. Like I wondered for a long time, the first guy I ever really wondered about this was Amari Stoudemire because he was so athletic and it was like, all right, when his legs go, what type of player is he going to be? Because, you, you you know, at some point you're not going to be the bionic man and, and get 300 dunks a year. The same thing's going to happen to Giannis. Like it just might be 10 years from now. And Stoudemire just became like an ISO ball, like, you know, mid-range jump shot guy and all of a sudden wasn't a very good player. And Blake Griffin was another guy I wondered about that. Now he's turned himself into a hell of a playmaker and a ball handler. We'll talk about the Clippers, uh, the Pistons in a little bit. But like with LeBron, I think that neck, we're, we're at that stage, Zan, like you're saying, to where he's going to be as a playmaker. Like, and he's added things for years and years. Like he, he started really posting in Miami and became an unbelievable playmaker out of the post. Not a great scorer, but great playmaker out of the post. And And it seems like later on when he got back to Cleveland, he just kind of wanted to handle the ball and be the point guard. And that's fine. But you can't get to the rim at will anymore. Like you can do it for some of the game. And so to me, like, and he, he should have that ability to transition. It's kind of like NFL great cornerbacks, you know, Rod Woodson or Charles Woodson come to mind. They can transition and become great safeties. And I think LeBron has to do that too. You know, he, he's going to be a great small ball, big, whether that's a power forward or at heavy minutes at center as well. And he could thrive in that role with the right team around. Here's actually one other compliment I'll give you about LeBron. Maybe two compliments about LeBron. Unbelievable ambassador and historian of the NBA game. That guy knows tons and tons of basketball history and stuff. I think a great guy to listen to talk about basketball, not talk about his relationship with other people. But also, Zan, you remember that Sean McVay clip from earlier in the year when he could just like tell you every play that was ever called? Like LeBron is that guy in the NBA. Like you ask him about a specific moment in a game and he'll tell you what he did or what they ran or what the play was. Like he has phenomenal recall. Like his ability to <laughs> I think I think they're a little overrated in terms of LeBron and Sean McVay. Like Sean McVay has so much credit because he like named like the middle linebacker for the Saints. It's like congratulations. No, no, I'm I'm, ter- I could I'm do serious that. though with LeBron, like his ability to recognize different coverages and, and adjustments against him has always been He's always been spectacular at that. But we, we will move on. Before we move on, obviously, if you like the first 30 minutes of this show, which was all LeBron-centric, uh, you're going to love the official Lakers podcast on Podcast One Sportsnet. So if you don't want to hear me be negative or Zan be kind of negative, kind of positive, you can join Emmy-winning sportscaster Susie Schuster along with producer Aaron Larsoul uh, this week as the All-Star team faces off against the Nuggets and the Celtics. Uh, Download the official Lakers podcast every week on Podcast One or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. So there's more additional Lakers stuff on Podcast One if the 30 minutes of us just berating them, it wasn't enough for you. But let's let's take it up the PCA, Zan, and let's talk a little bit about the Golden State Warriors, still the NBA title favorite. Uh, They got absolutely blasted by the Boston Celtics on Tuesday night. I believe it was 125 to 98. And before I get your opinion on that, let me let me give you a little bit of uh, Golden State Warriors facts. When all of Klay Thompson, Draymond Green, and Kevin Durant and Steph Curry play, or when one of those guys is out of the big four, I guess, they are 10 and 11. Uh, over the last month, 11 games, the Warriors are being outscored by 10.3 points per 100 possessions when DeMarcus Cousins is on the court. And uh, in their last 14 games, this is including Tuesday night, they have been down double digits 11 times in those 14 games. So in, in 11 of the 14 games, they've, they've gone down by double digits. I am not ready to panic about the Warriors. I think they're still probably fine. They're still too good. But Boston was literally reeling, and they just beat the shit out of Golden State on Tuesday night. So, what? I mean, what are your thoughts on Golden State, honestly? 
Well, there's two things. I think one concern's real and one's not. And I think, um, you know, usually we think of the Warriors, like their their record's not as good as it should be because they're kind of coasting in the regular season. I think it's less that and more the fact that they're being so cautious with injuries and leaving guys out, letting them rest. And that really exposes their depth problems. You know, like this is like a five-man deep team, six-man deep. Like they, they're really scraping the bottom of the barrel otherwise, especially in the perimeter on the wing spot. Um, so I think when they when they sit guys, that that's exposed. Uh, but I do think the as we mentioned last week too, the Demarcus Cousin thing concerned. That's my most real concern with them is just his ability. Is he going to be able to hang on defense? And if he can't, is Steve Kerr going to be stubborn and stick with him um, in a series against a Houston, for example? And if he's getting if he's getting worked over, because that's the one way they could potentially lose, barring a catastrophic injury. Yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty obvious at this point that Boogie is just not there laterally. You know, I, I mean, we talked about this before. He's still very good, but it's just, you know, he doesn't move great. And I, and I think it's going to be interesting to see him as a teammate. Like we heard, I, we talked about this. We heard Kevin Durant on Simmons' podcast talk about how great DeMarcus Cousins was as a teammate. I do think some of his personality issues are, are a bit overblown, but this is a, a Warriors team that they cannot really handle more locker room issues. Like Draymond is Draymond. Like he's going to push the envelope. Durant is, you know, going to turtle into his shell and get upset when people ask him about free agency. You know, we've never really heard much about Steph. Clay's kind of out there, but like, yeah, they got Andre Iguodala. And I, I got to be honest with you. Like, I don't care one bit that Andrew Bogut is signing with them from a basketball perspective, but part of me does wonder if like they're signing Andrew Bogut because they're like, shit, we need another stabilizing voice in the locker room. Now, I'm not going to jump to this conclusion that like, they're bringing in Bogut because like they can play in minutes because he was NBL MVP in Australia. Like I don't buy that at all, but I do buy the like, hey, we want another guy who's been around this culture who knows how to win because we're struggling a little bit right now, Zan. I mean, that frankly, like that's kind of what I think. I think you're right on the money, especially with Bogut too. Like he's 34. You know, if if the problem is Boogie being a step slow, you don't want a 34 year old center who hasn't been productive in the NBA for a couple of years. He was, as you mentioned, MVP in the Australian League and also Defensive Player of the Year. But, you know, he was the big name there. I, I, who knows how much of that was real. I don't see him playing a lot of minutes, but I do think he is a good force in the locker room, knows the system. You know, he's a smart player. He's always been a good passer, even in college. Um, so if he's sort of, I see him more as like the David West from last year. You know, if he needs to play 10 minutes in the playoffs, he can give him that. Uh, and but more than anything, he's a locker room guy, and and I think, you know, he kind of has an edge to him too. You know, he's not like just Johnny being good, but I think maybe that's a good thing as well. I, I think they're trying to return to their roots. Um, but also, I just noted, I just read this. I, did you know that Damian Lee? Do you know Damian Lee, the the rotational forward? He's kind of the long haired guy for. I think he's pretty good. I do know Damian Lee. He went to he was he played at Drexel one when I was coaching at College of Charleston. But here's a good fact for you. Do you know who he is whom he is married to? Uh I do actually know the answer to that. Doc Rivers' daughter, right? Wrong. No, Steph Curry Steph, Cur- Steph Curry's Steph sister. Curry's, Steph Curry's sister. Steph yeah. Curry's sister, yes. Um, so I don't know if that's why he's on the team, but I actually, I kind of like him as a rotational guy. I think he's, yeah, he's a pretty long, you know, he can shoot three pretty well. I think he could be like a Patrick McCaw for him, whatever that's worth. Uh, so I think the team can come together unless they just allow this whole, you know, distraction to implode them. I think Houston's a threat for that. You know, maybe Milwaukee, maybe Toronto. 
other than that, I, I wouldn't. I don't think they're worried about any other teams. And I think I think they're happy that Houston is now won six in a row. At the moment, they're. I think they have the tiebreaker for the third seed. I, I think Golden State would like to avoid Houston if they can. I, I agree with that. I think they want to avoid Houston. And ultimately, like I said, I think it's going to come down to if those four guys are healthy. I don't think they're going to lose. Like, obviously, Clay Thompson's missed two games in a row. Seems like he's fine. So I, I don't think we're going to be in a situation where we see them, you know, struggle a ton down the stretch. But especially if they're trying to get everyone healthy and at full strength, they'll probably be fine. But yeah, I, I think the one kind of bit of intrigue is like they have been relatively healthy, excluding, like I said, that Steph Curry groin injury in 2016. You know, what happens if if somebody gets hurt? And and is this team sustainable with three out of the four and DeMarcus Cousins? Because I, I do and I do think that Cousins' minutes are going to get cut a little bit as the playoffs roll around. I just don't. I, I mean, like I said, I told you this last week with Steve Kerr and, Ver, and him playing Verjao in the finals, but I just they just can't. They can't roll him out there for 30 minutes a game. He'll get pick and rolled to death. Yeah, and they should add the playoffs roll around. Probably decrease his minutes and increase Igudala, who they, you know, is permanently like on the shelf. And I think I didn't like the contract at the time, like overpaying Igudala to stick around because he was in clear decline. He's playing 23 minutes a night this year, scoring six points a game. Like, I get that you're a good chemistry guy and you've had success in the past, but if I'm paying you whatever, $15 million a year. I need more out of that spot. And the fact that he is, you know, kind of coasting through the last few regular seasons, I think hurts their regular season performance. And and he's looked good in the playoffs when he's played most, for the most part, he kind of was hurt last year. But uh, I think they need to, I wouldn't be surprised if Igudal is on the team next year. I think they can buy out. I mean, and that was an underrated kind of subplot that nobody ever really talked about is if Iguodala was healthy, does Houston even get him to seven games? You know, I don't and I don't know the answer to that. My guess is probably no. I think he's really important to what they do, because I still think that's what we're going to see. I I just don't think the death lineup is going to be Boogie, Draymond, KD, Clay and Steph. Like, I still think it's going to be Iguodala, maybe a little bit of uh, Sean Livingston, like, but. I don't know. I'm not super concerned, especially because I want to give you I want to hit you with some more stats. So Boston, like we said, really struggling. Uh, You know, Jalen Brown got a a bunch of heat for saying it was a toxic culture. Like, but that wasn't true. The thing he said that was taken out of context, like he was saying losing is toxic and it creates a toxic culture, which is 100 percent true. Nothing wrong with that. Jalen Brown still, in my opinion, one of the best quotes in the NBA, you know, phenomenally nice guy, really well spoken. But how about this? So Gordon Hayward goes for 30 points last night. We were super critical of, of Gordon Hayward last week. So 30 points for Gordon Hayward last night. He had scored 26 points the five games before that, right? So let me tell you this. Let me give you the Celtics win-loss record. This is from at Nick Goss on Twitter. Or no, I'm sorry, at Nick Goss NBCSB. So he works for NBC Sports Boston. When Gordon Hayward shoots 50% from the field, Zan, the Celtics are 18-2. and two. When he makes two or more three-pointers, the Celtics are 14-5. and five. When he scores 15 or more points, this is crazy, they're 13-2. and two. I'm surprised it's only been 15 times. When he has five or more assists, 10-5. and five. And when he takes 10 or more field goals, he's seven, they're 17-6. and six. So here's the Celtics issue, right? Gordon Hayward, if he's good, they're really good. If he's not good, they have some issues. I mean, it's like, and he gets 30 last night against the Warriors. Was pretty good in pick and roll. I mean, I don't know how they beat Golden State. I, I wouldn't have expected it, but it's like it's it, it's really interesting how kind of two faced they are because they were not even after we recorded last week and posted, they were not good. You know, they they had lost five in a row. 
So maybe this gets him off the Well, side. I'd be curious. It's a good. It's a good Gordon Hayward. It's a good Gordon Hayward stat. But I'd be curious to dig a little deeper because they, you know, they beat a good team, obviously, with Golden State. But it could be one of those stats that's like correlation. Like if you know, you see that all the time in the NFL. Like if a team runs the ball thirty times, they win eighty percent of their games. Like if you're if you're running thirty times, you're probably winning the game. So I, I'd be curious if Gordon Hayward shoots a lot and plays a lot in games that the Celtics feel comfortable in. Right. Or, I mean, simple, the, one that I, the one that I thought real quick, just from the coaching perspective, like 10 plus field goal attempts, one of the biggest issues I've seen with Gordon Hayward is his inability to get to spots this year because I just don't think he's healthy. I don't think he's fully healthy. He's not the Gordon Hayward we saw. So in those situations in games, maybe when he's feeling better and he's taking better shots and he's, and he's getting good shots, maybe against bad defensive teams or whatever – it would make sense that he would take more shots and they would win those games because he's he's taking more shots as he's making shots. So his confidence is higher and he's getting to different spots. So like that one, I think, just makes more sense as to why they'd be more successful in that thing, you know, in that situation. And also, like you said, maybe he gets 15 points in a game they're up 20 and they're still they have him out there in the fourth quarter. Like I watched him blow out the Hornets and I was watching Charlotte because I wanted to see they had a guy up on a two way that I used to coach and. I wanted to watch and Gordon Hayward was in the game in a game they were up 30 with two and a half minutes to go. So that's definitely something that you're probably right about. Yeah. And, and also he's, he's performed better off the bench too. I, I'm looking at his splits right now. I thought maybe I had a theory that he was better with days rest. That doesn't seem to be really the case. Um, you know, it would make sense, right? Maybe his body's working to shape. That doesn't seem to correlate. He's definitely clearly better off the bench this year. Um, and in the wins and losses, he's just shooting much different. The minutes are actually very similar, 26 and 26 wins, losses. So well, something to monitor going forward, because same with Boogie Cousins, it correlates in that sense. Like if these big names are not performing as well as you want in the playoffs, do, does your coach adjust accordingly or not? And it's hard to do. And, you know, speaking of big names, I don't know if you want to transition, but I think it's a natural transition to talk about Isaiah Thomas in Denver. <laughs> Yeah, this is one of the weirdest subplots of the st- of the season to me so far. I think that Isaiah Thomas, at one point in his career, was a very high scorer. He happened to play for a Celtics team that they didn't really they they had no real ways to score, so they catered everything to him. They still had to hire, hide him on defense, and now the Celtics are getting a lot of flack for not re-signing him, po- partly because of the situation with his sister, and obviously at the fifty point game against the Wizards right after that happened, and. But Isaiah Thomas is not a great fit for the Denver Nuggets. And for some reason, he is now healthy. And it's like very exciting to everyone that like Isaiah Thomas is healthy. But they're force-feeding Isaiah Thomas minutes that like they just don't need to do. Like Monte Morris, I talked about him in Teacher's Pet earlier this year. Like he has been a really good backup point guard. Why are we trying to force minutes to a, a score-first backup point guard at this point when they don't? they don't need to do that? You know, like Zan, I don't, this is literally one of the stupidest things I've ever seen. So Isaiah Thomas got 16 minutes against San Antonio. Monte Morris got 19 minutes. Isaiah Thomas took 11 shots in 16 minutes. Like he scored seven points on 11 shots, one turnover, two assists. But but ultimately you're taking another better player off the floor. Like Monte Morris is just better for the Nuggets. So like, why are the Nuggets doing this? They're going to they're ruin a really good thing. I'm serious. I'm really upset about it. No, I understand because the Nuggets really looked like they had it all click into place. And, and then they – it's like bringing a gremlin home. Like, you know, like this is going to end badly. Like we just saw it play out last year for Cleveland and he might have been more hurt last year than he is this year. I don't know. But either way, it's hard to integrate, you know, a small, very small 
shoot first guy who's not going to contribute much else besides just like jacking up shots. And to underscore your point about Monty Morris, like I would, I would think you're underplayed it by calling him a good backup point guard. I mean, he's, he's been phenomenal for them this year. He's shooting over 48% from the field, over 41% from three. And famously, he has an incredible assist to turnover ratio dating back to college. In this year in the NBA, 3.7 assists, 0.6 turnovers per game. That's like one of the best ratios in the league, I have to imagine. He, he's been giving everything that you would want out of a steady backup point guard um, to turn it over to this like guy who you never know what you're going to get and, and seems nine times out of 10, he's going to play badly, at least at this stage, is, is a, as you mentioned, baffling decision. And, and and here's the thing, Zane. Like, I don't even really like. I'm not. I'm not using this to like. I really. It, it, this show makes me come off much more negative than I actually am. Like, Isaiah Thomas had an unbelievable season with the Celtics. Like, he averaged 28 points a game. Like, I think he was third team All NBA. Like, I'm not taking that away from him, but he is coming off a really risky hip surgery. That like, you were already five eight, and your explosion. And he, he's one of the best downhill ball screen players I, I think that there was in the league. But I don't really see that anymore from him. And and I mean, we're talking about a guy who's played seven games. He's averaging 16 minutes a game, shooting 38% from the field, 37.5, 30% from three. And then like, I mean, 1.6 assists and two turnovers a game in seven minutes. So it's like, it's like, why, why do you need him to be in the rotation? Like, cause it, it, I would think Zan, that there's a clear time you can play Isaiah Thomas, right? If he is a pure bucket, like that's what he does. He just gets up and he scores. Can't you play him in games when you need points? Not necessarily in games where like things are going well and you need somebody to run your offense. Like, I, I just don't understand it. Like, I don't know why we're cutting Monte Morris's minutes for a guy that should have a pretty defined role, which is like, hey, Isaiah Thomas, like when we need somebody to get in and get the ball to the rim, then you make sense. But if like yeah, we're just but, running a know. regular rotation, it doesn't make a ton of sense. Cause you can't the other thing is like you can't play him. It, it, there's specific lineups you can play him in. If you play him in a bad defensive lineup, then teams just hunt the shit out of him. It, I mean, it, it happened when he was playing with good defenders in Boston. Guys just hunted him. Yeah, and it's we're and we're doing a little bit of a dangerous game because we're recording right before the Lakers Nuggets game tonight. So who knows? Maybe Isaiah Thomas scores forty points tonight. But I, I just think that their plan for him, in theory, and I think why they signed him, they thought, oh, you know, instant offense off the bench, as you mentioned. You know, like peak Jamal Crawford back when he was winning sixth man of the year. The problem is, the last few years, Jamal Crawford, you know, when you think he can score instant offense and he can run, get all buckets by himself, <laughs> chances are he's playing inefficient basketball and, he, and he's a complete liability on defense. And Isaiah Thomas is, is more that version of Jamal Crawford right now. And, and maybe they're just experimenting. I think, you know, they had such a good start that they're so comfortably in the playoffs that they can do that. But if they think Monte Morris should not be playing in the playoffs, twenty, you know, fifteen minutes a night, twenty minutes a night, then they're, I would think they're making a big mistake. Right here, but but let me let me talk about the experimentation comment for a second. I don't think you're wrong, and I think that's fine. But they are only three games up on three, four, and five. Like Utah, or I'm sorry, Houston, Oklahoma City, and Portland are all thirty nine and twenty five. You do not want to fall into that four spot. You just don't. Like the two seed is great. You get to play the Clippers in the first round. Like they're probably going to be the worst team that makes the playoffs in the West. I mean, maybe they match up better with San Antonio, but like you don't want to be in the spot where you're playing Houston or Oklahoma city or Portland or Utah in the first round. Like right now, Denver, you want to try to catch golden state, especially if they look like they're reeling a little bit, but like you don't want to be in the spot where you have to play another team. That's like probably better than you. So like, 
I don't think they have 16 minutes a night right now to just throw to Isaiah Thomas to be like, hopefully this works by the time that playoffs come around. And I'm I'm surprised they're doing it, Zan. I really am. Because I think we're two and a half years removed from Isaiah Thomas being a real a good NBA player. Yeah, no, totally. And and the same, you know, if there's a theme of the show, it's just like the guys with these big reputations, you know, LeBron's still good, but Boogie is is a polarizing player right now. I mean, we talked about it, but it's hard not to play him 30 minutes a night just because he's a former all-star as soon as last year. Gordon Haywood, same thing. And Isaiah Thomas, same thing. And it's tough for these coaches, I think, to adjust their expectations for these guys and also in the locker room like i think isaiah thomas still carries himself like with some swagger like he is the guy who just had an mvp campaign a few years ago um so i don't know i think sometimes those reputations are hard to shake and it might be politically hard for a coach to say hey look isaiah thomas monty morris this young kid is playing better than you he's you know he deserves to be getting minutes over you um but it's something that a coach needs to to do i mean frankly as you mentioned i agree i think if they do slip and even to the third spot say they're playing against utah i don't know i don't know the vegas i think would consider that a 50 50 series i I would i would think so i mean honestly like you know home court advantage is important but I, i do agree with the with the big personality thing because i do think a lot of people take isaiah very seriously and that's good they should like he he has earned the right i think to carry himself this way but he is you know, he is active on Twitter. He's got a big personality. He is somewhat divisive from what I remember hearing. He plays with a huge chip on his shoulder. So you don't necessarily want him to like divide the locker room. But again, you're right. Like that's Mike Malone's job. And and, and I'll say this too. It's one of the reasons why certain guys are very good, you know, like the Spurs, right? They, they have Pau Gasol, certain Hall of Famer, they signed him to an absolutely asinine two-year, $36 million deal two years ago. I, it just made no sense. But you know, he wasn't playing at all this year, and they bought him out. And and it sounds like he did everything he was supposed to in San Antonio. They bought him out so he could sign in Milwaukee. And you know he's going to go try to compete for a title in Milwaukee, but he's probably not going to play there. But at the same time, it's not like they let Pau Gasol ruin their locker room because it's like, oh, we have a certain Hall of Famer on our team making $18 million. Like We need to find a place for him. Instead, they were like, we need to roll out the best 10 guys that give us the best opportunity to make the playoffs. We don't feel like Powell's one of those guys. So it doesn't have to be an either or though, Zan. That's kind of my point is like, you can figure out a way to have Isaiah Thomas get what he wants without sacrificing your future. If he wants to go somewhere, let him buy him out and let him go sign in like Phoenix again. I mean, he would never go back to Phoenix probably after what happened, but like let him go there and let him, or, or let him go play with LeBron again in LA and like just run pick and roll in the second half of games or something. But, but you get what I'm saying? Like, you don't need to sacrifice your team's short-term goals to kind of appease Isaiah Thomas, especially not a guy that's his age now. You know, he's drafted in 2011, like, so, you know, he's on the wrong side of 30. You have to follow the the results. And I, I'm thinking back to Golden State a few years ago, right, when their title run started. Remember, they had David Lee, who was a, a really well-known player, really highly paid player. His stats looked good. He was like a 20 and 10 guy. And it was just clear that he wasn't the best big man for them. And to his credit, he kind of accepted a smaller role and allowed Draymond to shine. But if Kerr didn't allow that to happen and didn't follow the results, then who knows what would happen with the Warriors. And and we've talked about that before. They got a little lucky that he got hurt at the beginning of the season. And so they had to play Draymond. But also, I don't know if you recall this, but they brought David Lee out. I don't remember if it was 2015 or 2016. But he ended up getting minutes in a playoff in a, in a couple playoff games where it was like very important for him to play. Like they had some, I guess they had some injuries, and like he ended up 
playing his role off the bench and playing well. Now, I have since heard that David Lee is an awesome guy to be friends with, but not a great teammate. I've heard that from a couple people, but it's neither here nor there. Like, he waited his turn. He was ready. And I, I want to say in the 2015 playoffs, like, he, he got some opportunity to come out and play, and it, it really helped him out. Like, it mattered to them, you know? And, and that's what you want from a guy like that. And I think Isaiah Thomas can be that guy. I just don't think, like, the time to play Isaiah Thomas is, like, midway through the second quarter when it's like you're in a game that you're down by five maybe you can insert Isaiah Thomas at the beginning of the fourth or something when you need buckets but like it just doesn't seem to me that like rocking the boat and taking minutes away from a very good NBA player at the moment is the right way to do things uh last topic for us before we get into some reality tv your Detroit Pistons nine and two in their last 11 and uh they really seem to have a stranglehold on the seventh spot in the east no, I, I I wanted to talk about the Pistons because I love Blake Griffin, um, but also they deserve it. They've won nine out of their last eleven. They've rocketed up to five hundred, and that might not sound like much, but it, in the in the East, that pretty much means they're going to make the playoffs. And I'd be curious, you know, you never know if where Indiana ends up if if they end up drawing the Pacers in the first round. I think they have a shot at knocking them off right now, and I'm surprised because. I was not a fan of them trading Reggie Bullock, and I liked him his acquisition for the Lakers. He hasn't been a magic elixir that maybe I thought he was going to be, but at, and he hasn't hurt losing him hasn't hurt the Pistons in the way I thought it was going to be. They signed Wayne Ellington, um, who has shot well for them. That's his job. You know, he's a pure shooting guard. I'm looking at the stats right now, and his eight games for the the Pistons, he's shooting seven threes a game and making 37% of them. So they've refilled that shooting bucket. And as long as you have shooters around Blake Griffin, and as long as Blake Griffin's healthy, I think they're a dangerous team. I agree. Uh, Playoff-tested head coach, a guy that's been there before, clearly trying to win now. I think that's totally fine. We've talked about this in the past, about teams that have different goals. Uh, Yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe they end up, yeah, maybe they end up in the sixth spot, and they get it. I mean, they're two games back of Brooklyn. I think Brooklyn has two games in hand on them too, though. So but yeah, maybe they get the sixth seed and play Indiana and they win a first round series. I could see that happening. I, I, like I said, I don't uh, ultimately don't think Indiana will end up in that spot. Uh, but Blake Griffin, to me, probably a, assuredly a top 15 guy. Should I think he'll make an all-NBA team. I, I think he should at least have an argument. I mean, he's averaging 25, 8, and 5.5. And I mean, he's been... Yeah, and he's played. he's been healthy. Like I, I did, you know, you make, you make fun of top 50 MVP. He was in the top 10 because... As you mentioned, he's he's like a poor man's LeBron right now. He, he's playmaking, you know. He's he's really uh, helping keep that team afloat. I was going to ask you. This might be considered a buzzer beater, maybe. But of all the teams that no one talks about winning a first round series, you know, kind of like the the barely making the playoffs kind of teams. Talk about the Nets, the Pistons, the Hornets. Maybe Miami will sneak in there. Would you agree that Detroit has the best chance of those teams to win a first round series? Mm, probably bro are we just talking about in the east well let's talk about well i'll throw in the clippers and the spurs too because i would lump them into that they'll make the playoffs but no one's going to pick them to win around i just think the biggest i just think the biggest advantage that somebody has in the east is somebody probably gets to play indiana and they're just worse like i don't i just don't see any of those teams being able to upset philly boston toronto or milwaukee now now philly like let's just say Embiid is out for longer than we expect and it's supposed to be just another week but if Embiid comes back and reaggravates his leg and, and gets hurt again, like that, then throw all caution to the wind. But at full strength, I just don't think any of those teams can beat any of those top four teams in the East. So my guess is like, just I, I would say that I guess 
I guess Brooklyn probably does. I don't I don't think the Pistons do because I think you can probably play Andre Drummond off the floor a little bit. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. Maybe Blake Griffin can average 40, 10, and 5 for a series and that gives you an opportunity. But I, I don't, I don't want to give you... I don't want to give you a wishy-washy answer, but I just don't see it. No, no. I, I mean, it's a logical one. It, I think if he does play Indiana, as you mentioned, he has a chance to be the best player on the floor, and that's a huge edge. Indiana's sort of, I don't want to say they're paper tiger top three seed, but... They keep winning. They keep winning. <laughs> they keep winning. Yeah, they keep winning. They're like the Clippers in the in the East. They just won't die. Um, but let's say, you know, just to, to put a... Uh, final note on that let's it, it, it's going to depend on matchups but let's say brooklyn detroit was like a play-in series that they talked about five game series to make their way into the playoffs do you think brooklyn would win that series or or and i think detroit would it'd be a fun series i think i i like brooklyn's wings a lot better and i really like jared allen i, I like i said i've never been sold on d'angelo russell as like a superstar so detroit would very clearly have the best player in the series maybe the two best players depending on what you think of Andre Drummond uh, and I, I'm pretty high on Andre Drummond but I don't know I like wing depth you know how I like to play I like to surround shooters I, I like to you know really run it up and down and and so in the playoffs I think I would ra- I would lean towards Brooklyn but I wouldn't be surprised if Detroit won I think Dwayne Casey's good at what he does I, I really do that would be a great series as you mentioned they were not going to see that but um I think Detroit has a chance. I know it sounds silly to say this is a compliment, but I mean it. I think they have a chance to win a game or two against a Milwaukee or Toronto too. And that might not sound like much, but it's the difference between a series that you'd watch game five and not. Uh, actually, speaking of this, I do want to talk about two other things before we go. One, uh, Memphis quickly becoming a very fun like spoiler. Uh, they beat Portland last night in Memphis. Mike Conley goes for 40. But one other guy that we like have to mention, and, and we haven't because we just really don't talk about the Timberwolves very much, uh, Mar- Carl Towns is out of control right now. Like 41-14 and 14 last night. Uh, they beat uh, Oklahoma City by 11 in Minnesota. Towns 182 points in his last five games. Like we haven't really talked about Minnesota at all, and I don't really want to get into him right now. I, I just do want to like throw it out there that like, Carl Towns has been unbelievable since the Jimmy Butler trade. And, and the team it's the, themselves have, has been a lot better. I, I mean, I think we talked about this before, but like, I mean, Towns has given you 24 and 12. He's shooting 40% from three, literally shooting 39.9% from three on five attempts a game, just about. Like, they're probably not going to make the playoffs. They are, I believe, in the 10th seed. I think they're actually like a game and a half back. I think they're tied with the Lakers. So it seems unlikely that they're going to get in, but... I think, like we talked about, Ryan Saunders is going to get the job, and I think there's some optimism in Minnesota. Like, I think their fans were optimistic this year, and then Jimmy Butler slowly but surely crushed that. But moving into next year, like, I'm very excited about Carl Towns from what we've seen the last 20 or 25 games. I think they've been very good. I really do. No, I agree. And and Covington coming back, he's sort of a perfect fit for them and, and most teams, really. Uh, I agree with you. I think I texted you, and you mocked me, but I'll stand by it. Um you know, we talk about Jokic and we talk about Embiid. They're sort of the breakout superstar, best centers in the league. I think Towns is right there with him. Um, it's just his team's not very good, so he doesn't get the credit. And I'd even go this far. This is what you mocked me for. If I had to take any of them for the next five years, money being equal, I would take Carl Anthony Towns. I just think, I just think his offense. I, I think offense is more. The stats for offense are more reliable than the stats for defense. I know he's not a great defender, but neither is Jokic. And in terms of Embiid, who's more of a monster, maybe day to day. I just don't trust his health for five. Years. I agree with that. 
I think that's I think that's fine. And I do think a new system with Ryan Saunders has been very helpful. Like they've they've played a lot faster. It's better to get Carl Towns in space, maybe show a little bit more passing. I, I think I think that's fine. The big concern I have with them is you just have an absolute albatross of a contract with Andrew Wiggins, and I just think it's pretty clear that Wiggins is not going to be that second guy. So what they do in the draft this year, I think it is imperative that they take a wing. I, I really feel strongly about that. I would love for them to just give the freaking offense to Tyus Jones. I think we're probably leaning closer towards that than we were before. Right. No, I agree. And there's a stat that I, I saw um, posted on Reddit, posted by some dude named Xander Gellison. Uh Derek Rose had such a scorching start to the year shooting the ball. It looked like a little bit of fool's gold and it turned out to be pyrite. Is that fool's gold? Pyrite. Yeah. Um, pyrite. He's missed 30 of his last 32 three pointers. Basically Jack white. That's basically who he is. Yeah. And Tyus Jones is like lurking as their version of Monty Morris or Fred Van Fleet. Like he should be getting 20 minutes a night at I, least. I don't, I don't understand it. Like he plays, he plays just under 21 minutes a night and they give Jeff Teague 30 minutes a night and, and Rose is more of a scorer now, but he gets 28 minutes a night. I understand that Rose is averaging 18 points a game, but it's like, to me, like I would love it if they shift Jeff Teague off and they shipped Rose off and, and it like, you know, drafted Darius Garland or something like that. Maybe they get lucky. They, ta- they draft Ja Morant or something like that. And, and that's another guy to build around. But I think it's, it's absolutely imperative that they add an impact guy this year in in the draft. And, and like I said, I'd rather it be a wing, but with Wiggins, maybe if you know you have him there, maybe you get a point guard and you let Tyus Jones just be your backup. And I, I think they could be really good. I really do. No, they, they could be better than good. I mean, if you, as you mentioned, just kind of adjust your expectations, you thought before Cat and Wiggins were going to be your core. If you say, look, Wiggins is maybe not the guy. Carl Anthony Downs, if you put him with four shooters and he is a legit stretch five. If he's it, like, cause you know, you talk about Embiid being a stretch five and he hits about 33%. Same with Anthony Davis. This guy's shooting f- potentially 40% from three. You put him with shooters around him. That offense could be next level. I mean, just real, real quick on, on towns, like before we move into buzzer beaters and you educate us on some reality TV, like his freaking splits in February and March, like in in Mar in February, nine games, thirty one and fourteen with four assists a night, and then in March so far, it's only been two games, but thirty five and twelve, four assists a night. It's like, I mean, he's just been fantastic offensively. He shot fifty one percent from three in. Uh, I'm sorry, hold on. He shot fifty one percent from three in February. He's shooting right now forty five percent from three in March. Like. I just really think like it was very clear that once Jimmy Butler was gone and he was the guy, maybe he's a little bit soft, like maybe he's a little bit of a baby, whatever. But like this is an uber talented dude, Zan. And it's like we are now looking at him. I believe he is how old now? I mean, he's 23 years old. Like I'm not saying that he's going to be take a Giannis level jump, but if you told me next year this guy averaged 28 and 11, like I think I would believe it. He's passing the ball more like – so for me, it's it's recognizing like, all right, what do we want to do? Like, yeah, is Covington going to be your second best player? Maybe, probably not. You're not the best. So, like, so I would love to add another wing. But if you want to roll with Covington, Wiggins, Towns, and then fill in, like maybe they're a perfect fit for, you know, maybe it's Darius Garland. Like I said, maybe it's John Morant. You know, maybe you take a chance on somebody like, I don't know, uh, Cam Reddish. You take a chance on a stretch four next to Towns. I, I'm not sure. They're still a little ways away, but like, for the first time in a while, I think the Timberwolves fans can be like, hey, in two or three years, like maybe we got a chance to be pretty good. Because I don't think people thought that before. No, I agree. And I think if the season, I think I may have mentioned this before, but if 
if they made all those moves, the Jimmy Butler trade, maybe getting rid of Thibodeau for whatever reason, um, didn't seem to click, and you started the season over, even if you started over right now, they say, hey, Mulligan, let's start 82 games again. I think the Timberwolves would have a very, very good chance of making the playoffs. Yeah. And I probably would pick them. Yeah, I just think like we talked about the Lakers and we were very negative about the Lakers. But like when you look at their roster, like the Timberwolves were the team that started and everyone laughed at them because it was like, there's no way this is going to work. They hate each other. Like Thibs has no control of the locker room. And now it doesn't feel that way. We haven't really heard anything. One other thing you asked me to compliment LeBron. uh, If he scores points against the Nuggets, he will pass Michael Jordan on the all-time scoring list. We've talked about kind of how – you know, that that's awesome. Uh, he'll be in the top. I believe he'll be fourth. Like I said, I think it's it's Kareem, then uh, Malone, then Kobe, and now it'll be LeBron. That's an unbelievable stat on his part. Um, so kudos to LeBron there. But what I really want to talk about, because I, I hate giving kudos to LeBron, who's more annoying, Zandrick, Colton from The Bachelor or LeBron? That's my buzzer beater. That's my buzzer beater. Who's more annoying? <laughs> I don't hate either one. I thought you were going to link them you know, talking about LeBron jumping past Jordan and Colton Underwood jumping over a fence. I know you don't really watch the the Bachelor, but that was the sort of the highlight of the season. Do you even know what happened? Did it trickle down to your manly man version of the so world? I follow a lot of people on Twitter that watch the Bachelor. I have no problem with people who watch the Bachelor. I watch a lot of trash TV. Like I told Zan, I was really excited for Jay Cutler and Very Cavallari coming back this past Sunday night. So. Uh, but I did know. Yeah, I don't want to get. I don't want to get the labels. The reality TV guy. You, I, you've been texting. You said Florabama Shore. You're watching a lot Listen, of trash. I like trash TV. The Bachelor. I don't. I, I don't like love the Bachelor because I, I just don't really get it. But here's here's how I understand it. The entire season, people were waiting for Colton to jump the fence. Like they teased that early on, like on the one of those this season on the Bachelor. So it came out that like Monday night. I guess they teased last week's episode. Monday night was going to be him jumping the fence. So as I understand it, here's what happened. He told some girl that he was going to pick her and that he was in love with her. And the girl turned him down. And then he freaked out. So then he jumped the fence and they were in Portugal. So there became, you know, probably some insurance issues for ABC there or whatever the production company is. Uh, And so my kind of thought process is the girl never really was there to love Colton. What a shock. People weren't looking for true love on The Bachelor. But what she wanted to do was finish second so she could be the bachelorette. So then when Colton picked her and she was like, oh, fuck, I don't love this guy. Also, he's a virgin. She just left the show on her own, which is now like the 10th person to leave the show this year. And then Colton was embarrassed and he was like, damn it, I'm actually here for love and hopefully to lose my virginity, but it's not going to happen and I'm on camera and I need to get off camera. So he jumped the fence and we don't know where he is in Portugal. Did I did I get that right? <laughs> yeah, he's missing, sort of. There's a couple of key corrections. Um. This girl, Cassie, is the one you're talking about. She's like a cool sur- blonde surfer girl from um, Southern California. It seems like her family has some money and connections. I think her sister's dating some actor. So she clearly has a lot going on in her life. She's got a lot of options. Um, and she's also, I think, 23. So I don't know many 23-year-old girls who the world's their oyster that really should be getting married based on three weeks of a reality TV show. I think maybe to date, but... The the difference is um, she was kind of expressing some hesitation with the whole thing. She wasn't ready. She wasn't going to be ready to get engaged after this process, rightfully so, I think. And and she was thinking about leaving. And that's when Colton, Bachelor Colton, kind of threw all his cards on the table. It's like, look, I was going to pick you. You know, if you stay, I'll pick you. We don't have to get engaged. We'll just date, whatever. He was like, it was like a desperation. Please don't leave. 
And to her credit, she still left anyway and caused Colton to flip well, out. But Zan, can he say that? Like, we're not going to get engaged? Isn't that the point of the show? And also, like, now is he allowed back on the show? I mean, because here's, here's the thing that I, as I understand it, there's one more episode and now he's basically, everyone has seen that he tried to pick the other girls. So let's say he picks one of the other two girls or three girls, however many's left. Like, in real life, they've now seen that, like, he wasn't trying to pick them. So has the charade of The Bachelor just been exposed? <laughs> Well, I think they should adjust expectations like we have to do for LeBron and Boogie Cousins. Like, if you have a bachelor who's a, I think he's like 26, like 26-year-old virgin, and he's romancing, a lot of the girls are younger this year, which makes sense. They're all like 23, 24. The show shouldn't be, let's get married at the end of this. Like, let's pick a girlfriend, basically. That's what he needs in his life. Um, So I, I think the expectations maybe got to his head that he has to have his happily ever after marriage. Not to be like a buzzkill for any like Christians, good Christian kids out there, or you're saving yourself for marriage. That's not him. He doesn't think he's saving himself for marriage. He's, it doesn't seem like that type of religious guy. I don't think I would recommend to any 23-year-old surfer girl to get married. I don't think I would recommend to any 25-year-old virgin guy to get married either. I Don't you think you need, as a married guy, don't you think you need a, a few more years under your belt? Yeah, I definitely, I, don't, I mean, I don't know. I, I My assumption is all the people on The Bachelor are like, actors or models or actresses trying to make it and so like you go on this show and maybe you get a little bit of helium based on not getting picked or or something and then you know you get cast from some other stuff in hollywood i I know that there's the belmont in in california or in la is a pretty popular place for bachelor contestants to hang out after the show so it's kind of like this little world that they're all in (laughs) the belmont i no, I mean, you're, you're right in the sense like the gold at the end of the rainbow for all these people is not happily ever after marriage. It's, hey, you and I, like, I'm going to be an Instagram influencer and like sell sponsorships. And us as a couple, like increases our value on as a brand, as a happy couple brand. And we could sell, you know, dating getaways and, and a bunch of other stuff. And they do make some real money. They make like hundreds of thousands of dollars on these people, um, if not like millions as influencers so i i do think that's their their in the back of their mind but this girl cassie could probably do that anyway she probably thinks she can be bachelorette too um who knows what's gonna right, happen but it was technically still get picked for the bachelorette i kind of talked out of turn like yeah or she could she could end up dating colton who knows it's not like he jumped off the edge of the earth we don't know have they found well i mean that's the other question have they found him i think so i <laughs> i uh i don't know i haven't seen the whole thing but um it would have been great. I mean, it would have been one of the greatest <laughs> reality TV moments ever. Although, although you might have to cut this out. Let's pause for a cutout break. But it reminds me of the greatest reality TV moment, trashy reality TV moment I've seen in years. It was on a show called um, 90 Day Fiance. You know that show. I know of it. I've never seen it. But yeah, yeah. I love it. It was like a version of 90 Day Fiance where they go, they get these like mail order brides basically that they've romanced from long distance and they f- meet them and marry them. This was a show called Before the 90 Days. So this nerdy guy goes to Brazil um, and a kind of a seedy section. Um, it's kind of dangerous. There's like a lot of crime around. And he confesses to this woman that he, this young woman who was like 18 or something, that he has a criminal past and she was reluctant to continue dating him. So he, like Colton, flips out and runs off into the jungles of Brazil. And the cam- she's running after him. The camera's running after him. And this guy with a machete, this is real, runs up to the girl and steals her cell phone. <laughs> 
give me your cell phone, give me your cell phone. Gives it to him. He runs off. The cops chase after the guy in the machete. You hear gunshots and like the episode just ends. You're like, what the hell just happened? That was like the better version of this Colton moment, but it did remind me of that. Well, this has been an unbelievable week in reality TV because actually one of the stars in Very Cavalry got fired, fired. I'm using quotes again where you guys can't see because I don't understand that podcasts aren't visual. So it's going to be a lot more Jay Cutler this year, which I'm really excited about. But I, I got to get in on The Bachelor, apparently, because not not necessarily because I care, but like I just want to know what's happening. Like Twitter goes crazy. All these basketball people that I follow, like all these like writers that I follow. Everybody watches The Bachelor now. It's like season 400, too. It's like I just, you know. When they, and they crank out so much content. That's why it's, it is a tough watch, to be honest. It's not a show that I really endorse. It's, it was two hours Monday and I think two hours Tuesday. And it's going to be two hours next week and two hours again. It's like longer than The Godfather to get to like Colton's final two. I mean, it is absurd, but it does make you feel like you're part of pop culture. I got one, I got one more buzzer beater for you specifically uh, while we're on TV. Game of Thrones season eight trailer. Again, I've not seen any episodes, so I'm way out of loop on this one. Arguably, uh, I guess I've been told it was the greatest two minutes in the history of television. Uh, I mean, your thoughts on the Game of Thrones season eight trailer? Uh, bad buzzer beater for me because I didn't watch it. I don't like watching like spoilers or giveaway stuff. I'm, I'm in on Game of Thrones though. I thought last season was quite bad, but um, I'm hoping that they have a good ending in mind and a good ending that doesn't, you know, just devolve into, you know, I love Lord of the Rings, but this is not Lord of the Rings and it shouldn't be just this fight against an evil creature. What are the chances that just like, you know, like they just involve like Game of Thrones is wild and you can just kind of do whatever, right? Because now the guy who wrote the original books, like he didn't write this ending, right? This was TV writers that wrote season eight. Right. And same with last year. And that's probably why the last season didn't make a lot of sense because they ran out of books. And so they're just trying to put a bow on everything. I'm sure he's consulted with them, but yeah, I actually heard that he wrote kind of like what his vision for the ending was, even though he hadn't written the books. My question to you is like, can they just have like Thanos like land in the Game of Thrones world and like everyone dies? Because that's just kind of the theme of the show, right? Is like you can't you can't become interested in other characters because they're just going to die anyway. So is it possible to just like merge the Avengers and Game of Thrones together to massive successes? And just end the show that way. Is that a possibility? Well, you know, that shows you like, I like the Avengers. It's cute to like team up. and But that, I hope that's not how this show ends. Because it is more sophisticated than kid stuff. I mean, no offense to huge Marvel fans. It's meant for kids. I'm sorry. Or teenagers. Hold on a second. Netflix Marvel, like Daredevil and like The Punisher, not safe to show your kids. Just a little display. Or certainly Jessica Jones. There's a few weird elements of that. Yeah. Same deal. Same deal. Yeah. But I, it, you hope it doesn't just become, let's all team up and, and fight the bad guy at the end. I, I hope they kill people. I want to see a body count. I, I want to see, see everyone die and one person you know, standing on top of their dead corpses. So that, that's what we came for. What's the, uh, what, what do you think if you had to set an over-under? Like, does Bovada have a body count for the entire season of Game of Thrones? Like, seriously, like how many people? I think they do. I think Bovada has a bet. I did see, for, I think it's first guy killed, actually. That's ridiculous. I, I, I would say that, like, obviously tons of people who are not major characters have died. But, like, not even, like, spoilers here. Like, have they killed 20 major characters over the history, over the seven seasons? <laughs> Uh, well, I don't know. It depends what you think of major, but probably, yeah. I would say the the survival rate of main characters is probably under 50%, which is so amazing. I don't even know characters' names anymore. People are posting stuff on Twitter. Like, I, you know, I knew, like, Jon Snow and, like, 
the hot girl or Khaleesi and like Tenaries or something or Tyrion Lannister. And like now there's names I've never even seen before. I undersold them. Pavada has 12 separate bets on deaths of Game of Thrones, including who's going to rule the Iron Throne and who's going to die first. And then you could take prop bets. Who's going to die first, Euron Greyjoy or Theon Greyjoy. I mean, it's really quite amazing. How if you want, if you somehow are a TV writer who knows the ending, you could rack up some money on Bovada right now. That's actually a really good point. Uh, so I'm going to try to watch. I'm not going to commit to watching Game of Thrones yet. I'm going to try to watch it so we can eventually talk about it because I, I mean, obviously, it's a cultural sensation, so I have to watch it. But I got a little bit anxious that like it was going to come out and that was going to be what everyone was talking about, and I was going to be yet again not in the know, you know, cause like I see a lot of basketball stuff happens. I usually know what's going on, but like bachelor, I never have any clue. And now game of Thrones comes back. Like what this, this coming weekend or next weekend, next weekend. Right. So I'm going to be out of the know again. Cause like you literally can't open social media on Sunday nights. You just cannot. It's it's you, you can't when game of Thrones is on, that's all anyone ever talks about. So. Well, and it's all I ever think about. I, I just, I did completely stop listening to you. And I'm thinking about placing a bet who will perish first? I'm taking Cersei will perish first. Danny Targaryen, mother of dragons. I do not see her dying first. Cersei Lannister is my pick of the week. Minus 250 to die first. All right. That is it for episode 22 of the Underdog Sports NBA show. I am Tyler Laurie, CYS Tyler on Twitter. He is Xander Gellison, Zan underscore Ellison. Email the show. Let us know if you want to talk about TV. Let us know if we talk about TV too much. Let us know if we uh, hate LeBron. I mean, I, I clearly have made those kind of feelings known, but I don't hate him. I don't hate anybody, especially not him or Kyle Kuzma, but like them both. But email us, xandrickellison at gmail.com, and we will be next back next week. And I would say Bovada is going to set some odds. We are minus 200 to just not talk about the Lakers next week. Minus 200. So you can take that to the bank if you want. But I'm out, Zan. We will be back next week. And uh, thanks to everyone who listens. Thanks for listening to the Underdog Sports NBA Show with your hosts, Tyler Laurie and Zandrick Ellison. Tune in next week for more NBA storylines and news.